If you have your Bibles or your Bible app on your cool Apple or Android, please open up to Nehemiah chapter 4. Before we start looking at this scripture, there was a song that I've known for a while. I admire the guys that actually sing it. Um, so before we jump into the scripture, in this, this song has the theme of what chapter 4 of Nehemiah is kind of about. And so all I ask you to do is bow your heads, close your eyes, and just focus on the words. Feel the emotions of the song. Listen to the men's phrasing. Um, some of you may know this song. And if you don't know what the song is, let me just tell you, it's basically Psalm 42 sung. Okay, so I was listening to it, and I just felt like the Lord said, let us listen to this together and then jump into his word. So, DJ, hit it. <laughs> I have lost my appetite And the flood is welling up behind my eyes So I eat the tears I cry And if that were not enough they know just the words to cut and tear and prod when they ask me, where's your God? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your face to me. As a deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. And when I behold your glory, you so faithfully renew, like a bedfast for my fainting flood. I am satisfied in you When I'm staring at the ground It's an inbred feedback loop That brings me down So it's time to lift my brow And remember better days when I love to worship you in all your ways With the sweetest songs of praise Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your grace to me as a deer pants for water so my soul thirsts for you 
see this war going on within the human heart, the soul. He's reminding himself, why am I down? What is going on? Look at everything God has done. Look what God wants to do. And sometimes it's good to remind ourselves that and check ourselves. Are we absolutely, truly satisfied in him? And so we'll look at Nehemiah and Nehemiah has to do this for the people of God. Jeff, for the last four weeks, has led us faithfully through Nehemiah chapters 1 through 3. And all I want to do is recap kind of what Nehemiah did for the news that he heard. And Jeff did this so well in describing the emotional side of Nehemiah. But we know that he sat down, he wept, he mourned for days, he fasted. He prayed. And so a question I had when I was thinking about this is when we know something is wrong around, and even more importantly, something is wrong within us, how are we currently responding? Are we being active? Are we being passive? Are we distracting ourselves? Are we oblivious? Or are we denying? This weekend has been awesome because a couple men 
we actually participate in the first Pure Halt weekend. And we're, by God's grace, put in a place where we can no longer overlook things that we've buckled to or submitted to. And we began a mission together, and that mission was to address the things that contaminate our identity in Christ and actually have brought us more slavery than freedom. And here in Nehemiah 4, the reason I bring that up is Nehemiah 4, there's, there's a shift, right? Oppression has begun. The people of God have been kind of heard about what Nehemiah wants to do. So let's read it together, and then we're going to literally just jump right in. This may be the calmest sermon I've ever preached. (laughs) Maybe. Can't promise. Nehemiah 4. Now, when Samballot heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. And he said in the presence of his brothers... And of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him and he said, yes, what they are building If a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. Basically saying, it don't matter, dude. It's not going to be strong enough. Nehemiah says this. Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. But when Samballot and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must return to us. You're not safe. Are you crazy? What are you doing? So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall and open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. 
And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. For that day on, half of my servants worked on the construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. You know what a coat of mail is? They put it on to protect themselves from arrows as much as they could at that time. Pre-bulletproof vest. And the leaders stood behind the house of Judah, who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. And each of the builders and his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread. And we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be on guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I, nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. May this not be words of man. May this be your words that you want us to see. Join our hearts together, Lord. Let us not live separated lives any longer from each other. May we re- weep with those who weep. May we rejoice with those who rejoice. May we make an allegiance with our church family that everyone in here is important, special, precious to you. And together, Lord, we can accomplish your work that you've given us from Jesus himself. It doesn't matter what the world looks like. It doesn't matter the oppression around us. It doesn't even matter their words. All you call us to do is to trust in you and be be responsible with what you've given us to do. May we not belittle that. May we not be afraid of that. May we all be changed today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. I cry a lot. I'm sorry. It just happens. You should see me in my private time with the Lord. I, sometimes I, I have to journal because I can't pray out loud sometimes. So the setting in this chapter basically is... Just because you know God has called you to do something 
doesn't mean everything's going to go well for you. The heart of the question that Nehemiah is saying, you see about by verse 10, you see by verse 10, so they start building on this wall. But by verse 10, the people are getting tired. They're not physically tired. They're mentally and emotionally tired of the threats, the jeers, the words, the news probably that they heard. Man, there's these armies surrounding us. Like, what, what, what are we doing? People are saying, you've got you to retreat. You've got to get out of there. What are you doing? So this emotional and this mental state of the Jews is being exhausted. If we're honest with ourselves, in our Christian walk, some of us may be there now. Some of us have walked through it. Some of us may be heading there. Are you exhausted? Have you kind of said, I want to throw in the towel? Not to give up on Jesus Christ, but you know what? I just don't want to do anything anymore. I don't want to witness to this person no more. I'm tired of telling this person the same thing over and over. I'm tired of how my family treats me because I love Jesus. I'm tired of my coworkers pressing on me all the time. If I say one thing wrong, oh, would a Christian say that? My heart to you and my, my beckoning to you is to hear the words of Nehemiah say, don't give up. We will, if we cling to the Lord, like that song said, he is the one who infuses us with hope and strength and direction and vision. And you could look at the person that you know is the hardest sinner, maybe do the most wicked things that you can possibly imagine. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where God saved you. And don't forget that God put you in that relationship in order to be a light to these people. But in order for us to get there, we need, we need a couple things. If we're going to risk for God, like these Jews risked for Nehemiah, but mainly they risked for God. All Nehemiah was was a part saying, hey, this is what we need to do. God will fight for us. We've got to be convinced of the truth and goodness and beauty of God. We have to be convinced that he is good. That he is with us. That he cares for us. That if you have a sickness, he is not leaving you by yourself to deal with it. If you have marital strains, God is not leaving you, your husband and your wife, to try to figure it out on your own. If your kids are driving you nuts, God is not leaving you alone to try to figure out how to be the best parent. God is with us. He's very present, he's very active, and he's calling us to move forward with him. And another thing we have, the second thing, this is on your notes, I think it's a, 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 a what you call it, a blank? You can fill it in. So we've got to be convinced, but we also got to, we got to remember the experiences we had with God. I will never, Forget June 20th, 2001, at 11.15 p.m., 
reading my Bible in my closet and God rescuing me. I will never forget that day. Why? That's the day I run to when I am mentally exhausted, physically. I have to remind myself, this is what God does. Notice what Nehemiah does. So the people are tired by verse 10. You hear of all the people, Sanballat, Tobiah, the Ammonites, the Arabs, the Adidites, all these people are ticked off that these guys are building the wall. Notice something, too. This is a little free before. They don't stop them from coming. They have the weapons, they have the shields, they have the spears, they have the mail, what they called it? Coats of mail, there you go. They have all of it. They have all the stuff that they need. But it says God confused their plans. So the Jews took responsibility. We need to protect our people so that they can continue. But God is the one that does the confusion and the plans. What that tells me is this, and I'm looking you in, your, in all your eyes as, as best as I can from up here. God works through you. You are the hands and feet of Jesus. The words of encouragement you give to people. You don't know, but that word may be something the Lord literally just speaks to them. It may not mean anything to them, but when they go home, boom, a light goes off. An elderly woman who can't do things for herself, and you go over there and you visit her and you spend time with her. Help maybe help fold her clothes or cut her grass or whatever. That's Jesus moving in you. You're showing her Jesus. That's what, the, that's what these, this picture gives. They, they're, they're ready for war. I mean, they just... These guys are ready. And God knows that. But God confuses the army to allow the work to continue. But the thing they were, one of the things they did is you look at this. They're tired, they're exhausted. What does Nehemiah do? He says this, verse 15. This is what we need to do as a church, as individuals. Do not be afraid of them. Verse 14b, by the way. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sisters, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. I'm going to make that very practical for us. We cannot get tired, meaning we don't operate in our own strength. We have to run to the Lord. We have to remember the Lord. And we have to fight for our husbands, ladies, wives. You need to fight for your husband's heart. You need to cherish him. You need to honor him. You need to pray with him. And when he's home or away from work or you're at work and you're both working and you're thinking about it, you just need to pray for him. Maybe he's struggling mentally. Maybe he's stressed out. Maybe, he's, maybe he just doesn't feel like he's a priest. You need to give him words of affirmation. You need to just love on him. 
That's how you fight for his heart. That's how you fight for him. You fight for him to lead. And husbands, don't think I left them view out. It says fight for your wives. As men, we need to be the protectors of our women. We need to fight for them. They're struggling at the house. We need to help out. We need to do chores with them. It's not just the women that cook and clean. We need to put on the apron like Jesus, and we need to clean their feet. We need to help them with the laundry, help them with the kids, anything. If the door is aggravating, we spray the little WD-40 on it. We, we love on them. We, we pray for them. We take them out on dates and just let them know that we, we, we cherish you. We're here for you. Me and you, we're, we're stuck like glue, like this is forever until the RIP, baby. We, 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 we hear, okay? Both of us, need to, we, we need to cover our spouses in scripture and prayer and do these things. That's what Nehemiah is trying to remind them. Like, look, guys, we, we're not building this wall just for us. You're building it for them to protect them, to help them prosper, to do all these things. Your kids, like, we need to fight for our kids' hearts. Not to be the strict dictatorship parents, but to fight for their hearts that the Lord would grab a hold of their hearts and they would see that this world will not satisfy no matter what they addiction they get into, no matter what they give themselves to. Only Christ can give them true identity and we need to fight for this. So we need to read scripture to them, pray over them, remind them. Even when we correct them, it has to be with discipline and love. So we, are, we maybe get on to him, what are you doing? But we need to constantly embrace him to let them know that this is a safe place. It's safe for you to be with me. Because they, we need to teach our kids to obey for one reason only, so that when they grow, they obey the Lord. That's it's the whole practice. Why do you think we teach people to read? I honestly think we only learn to read so that we can one day read this. But what Nehemiah did in this speech is he unified the people. A mission unity. Let me tell you something. This church has a mission. We say it every time we do announcements. It's plastered everywhere on the internet. And by God's grace, we are trying to live this out as best as we can. But this mission, this body that you're a part of, is the same for you as it is for me. To make Christ preeminent in our life. That's not something that we just check off in a box and say, okay, got that done, check. No, this is all of life. And I'm, I'm going to be as frank as I can because I, it's, it's been boiling in me for like two months. I've been wanting to preach this sermon for two months. If we want to see this local body be effective in our community and in the lives of those around us. We need to be a part of that. And I'm not talking about events and programs. Okay, those are all fun. I love doing those. I love decorating. I probably get that from my mother. Okay? <laughs> Always something's got to be decorated. 
what I'm saying is it's, it's, not, it's not just, okay, we're going to give these programs and you're going to do them for it. No, the, what I'm trying to say is the mission. Notice it says that they did their work, but they did the work. It's not them making up their own plan and God blessing it. It's everybody had a part within God's work. And he's saying, hey, look, Jeff, you're not supposed to do this work. I want you to do this work. Hey, Chris, you're not supposed to do that work over there. I want you to do this work. Uh, It's not this over there. I want you to do this work. Like, if we would all find our place in the body and we join hands and we do just our part, do you know what could happen? I mean, it could do amazing things. And I'm not just talking about filling the seats. I'm I'm talking about seeing people's lives changed. Whether we stay the same number here, it it doesn't matter. The the goal isn't to build a mega church. The goal is to see the church of Jesus Christ spread on the earth. Whether it's 20 people or 1,000 people or 10,000 people or a million people like in South Korea. Can't even imagine that. But the church moves. Why? Because Jesus is moving. He, is, he wants to repair your wall. You have holes in your soul, in your lives, that he wants you to come to him to fix. Why? Just to fix you? No. No, because when you are fixed and you fill him in that spot and allow him to heal, guess what you become? Agents of healing. Agents of encouragement, agents of reconciliation, agents of gospel sharing, agents of this. But it, ha- it will only happen if we unify. And look, I don't know all the background that y'all have a church. Some of y'all probably grew up in church. Some of y'all probably didn't. Some of y'all might have been hurt by the church. Listen, I can't speak for every body that you've been a part of, if you've been a part of it before this one. All I'm asking you to do is look to Christ. If the church is not displaying Christ, it's not a church. Okay? If there's ever a time that I don't display Jesus, I need you to walk up to me and go, dude, you're a jerk. (laughs) That's all I need you to do. that, That helps me. It humbles me. Same thing with Jeff. Like, if there's something that you don't like or you think he did, just walk up to the man in love and say, hey, no, I don't think so. If this church becomes number-driven and wants to have the fanciest building, out, like, you got to come check us. Because the point of a body of Christ is to be a healing agent of Jesus on the earth. On the earth. Notice, they joined forces. They, fit, they went against the wall. They built the walls. And it says to half height. Okay? The book ain't over yet. Okay? But the whole point of this isn't not just for them to protect. It's God wanted them to rebuild the walls so that his presence would dwell with them again. And the practice I can make that in our life is this. If we have things in our life that are hindering Christ from getting close to us, why would we not war for that? Why would we not sacrifice everything we have to sacrifice to have Christ come closer, to be with us, to be in his presence more? I mean, it may be an attitude, it may be a a habit, it may be a hidden sin, 
Is that worth Christ? Is that worth? Because guess what? All Satan has to do, he ain't got to take your life. He ain't got to do anything. All he's got to do is distract you. Because if he distracts you, your part of the game is missing. And I don't want you to be missing. I love this church. I love it. I can't believe how fast I loved it. Yeah. But I, but I, look, I look at everybody here. I'm, tell, I'm telling you. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord. Who is great. And awesome. And fight. For your brothers. Look left and right right now. Look left and right. This isn't just about kinsmen. Blood relatives. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We're all going to be together in eternity. We got to get used to each other now. Okay? But I'm telling you if, you, if you would look at the person next to you and honestly know that that is a blood-bought daughter of Jesus Christ, and her soul means so much to Christ, and her life means so much to Christ, and that man next to you, that that is a son of the living God, and that his soul is precious to him. Like, if we would actually look at each other like that, not as just individuals in this individually center-driven culture that we are surrounded with, and we got to see that God wanted a communal culture centered on Christ to be together and move in this world Together, not separate, not by ourselves, together. And this church has a place for you. And I'm not just talking about volunteering. Yes, we need help in volunteering. Okay, that, that was said 10 times. I'm talking about if there's a neighbor that you're trying to reach, why can't one of your sisters in Christ come with you to minister to them, make a meal for them, do whatever it takes to get in their house? Or so-and-so... And, he said, you know, so-and-so said this, I'm praying for his soul. Like, hey, would you join me in prayer tonight? And let's just pray over the phone together. Like, it's the simple. Um, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I believe, I believe God is on a move. Not only in this church, but in your hearts. Like, I think, I really, I really pray that he is, he's moving on you. And he's healing some of your hearts if there is pain there. Like Jeff says this, he wants this place to be a safe place. For you to come, experience the presence of God, to be a part of a family that loves Christ, has centered Christ on their life. That's what he wants. Now I'll just piggyback on that, like... I want this to be a safe place, too. And I know Jeff wants this, too, so I'm not saying this is what I want opposite. But we both want to see Christ preeminent in your life, shining through you. Let's pray. Lord, for some of us, our strength may be weakened. For some of us, we may turn on the news or just be in the, out into the 
sphere of influence that we're a part of, it just seems all bad, honestly. I'm tired of politics, Lord. Drives me nuts. I pray that our eyes would turn to you. Our eyes would turn to you, Lord. Just like that song said, may I lift my brow. And just like one of the other psalms says that you are the lifter of our heads. When we buckle in shame or we are down on ourselves, you're the one that comes and lifts our head because you want us to see you. And just like Nehemiah prayed, Lord, or told the people, remember the Lord. Do not be afraid. Fight for those you need to fight for. May as a body of Christ, Lord, may we look at Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at the areas. Maybe there's walls, figuratively speaking. There may be spiritual walls. There may even be physical walls in people's lives that we just can't seem to repair or help. Or we just don't know what to do. Lord, I pray that we would fashion ourselves. We would, we would put on our armor. And Paul is very clear what our armor is. The helmet of salvation. The belt of truth. The shield of faith. And we may not put on spears and bows and weapons, Lord. But you do have a clothing that we are to come into your presence and I believe it is you who puts our helmet on who puts our belt on who gives us the shield who gives us the shoes for the gospel who gives us things to protect our breastplate to to protect our hearts may we remember you that you're the one that gives us these things. We ain't going to muster up. How much armor have we honestly tried to make ourselves? And how futile and weak and fragile it is. It may take one blow. It may take two. But Lord, honestly, Satan and even our flesh is a billion times more strong than us without Jesus Christ. No wall that we build just like to buy in sand ballot, Lord. Oh, the wall that they're building is weak. It will just crumble. Yes, without the Lord's direction, any wall that we build, Lord, is going to crumble. It is false security. But I believe, Lord, the greatest wall we have as brothers and sisters, as children of the living God, you're the only adult in the relationship. The only true wall we have is the one who stood in front of us in our place and absorbed the wrath of God. Our wall isn't made with bricks and mortar. Our wall is a person who sacrificed himself to set us free. May we see our part to play. May we say, yes, Lord, I will do. 
And may we look at each other and think about each other and say, and I'll do me too. And I'll help you too. May this body of Christ form so strong that when one walks through the door, they won't even just feel the presence of God, but they will know that this is a place that is centered on the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Oh God, I pray that this week, everybody here would open Nehemiah chapter 4 and read it in their private time. And you will reveal to them the walls that you want to repair in them, around them, and for them. In Jesus' name, amen. I thought I was a passionate preacher until I met Kerr. Um, what I enjoy about Kerr's gifting is that we feel what he's feeling. And that's where we are. That's what we want to be able to say, Lord, here I am. Accomplish your work.